Welcome to the Helping Children Thrive podcast, where we talk about ways to improve your child's health and recovery. I'm your host, Momina Sili, and I'm a certified pediatric functional medicine health coach. At Helping Children Thrive, it is our aim to educate and empower parents and practitioners with integrative approaches to children's health conditions. Along with this hope that our children can recover, I welcome you all. Welcome everyone to the Helping Children Thrive podcast. Today we will talk about our children's skin health and how to address root causes of skin issues in children and in teens. The number of children struggling with skin problems like eczema, rashes, hives, or psoriasis is on the rise, with children developing these skin conditions as early as birth. Today I'm excited to have Jennifer Brand on the show to talk about skin disorders in children. Jennifer Brand is an integrative and clinical nutritionist and the founder of Jennifer Karen Brand Nutrition. She specializes in childhood skin rashes, food allergies, and sensitivities and gut problems. Jennifer is a relentless detective, putting her strong knowledge of nutritional biochemistry to work for you to identify what's driving symptoms and health problems in order to address root causes of them. Jennifer is a faculty member of Learn Skin and her work has been featured in peer-reviewed scientific journals, as well as on podcasts, online summits, and in-person presentations. Welcome, Jennifer. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to uh, be part of your show. Yeah, this is great. Um, I like to always start off by asking all of our guests how they got started in this whole area of work that they do now? So it's, I think so many of us in functional medicine and in this world have really experienced our own health challenges and we've had to take matters into our own hands to find solutions for those challenges. Um, I was no exception to that. I'm not going to go into a ton of details, but as a child, I was frequently ill with things like strep throat and ear infections, which of course came along with lots of antibiotics. Um, as a teen, I went through some significant physical and emotional traumas. Uh, in my 20s, there was some more emotional traumas. And by this time, I started to develop pretty severe irritable bowel syndrome. Um, and over the years, my health continued to deteriorate. And like so many, I started using diet restrictions to manage my symptoms. So over time, the diet restrictions became a coping mechanism for me, um, you know, sort of a control coping mechanism. And I ended up with disordered eating and eating disordered habits. Uh, and this is one of the reasons why, and I'm sure we're going to talk about this today, but I'm so passionate about spreading the word that food is not the root cause of the problem, um, especially if we're already eating healthy, whole real foods, um, you know, and we're talking about allergic conditions in this case, but food really isn't the root cause of the problem. It might be a trigger for what's happening. But the issue is that our bodies run off of nutrients from foods we eat. When they are missing, imbalances develop and symptoms and health problems follow. Um, so in order to resolve my health problems, for example, I really had to take a look at my diet and start to expand that to nourish my body. And then of course, you know, dealing with the emotional aspects, not just all the physical symptoms, the emotional side of things and stressors play a role as well. You know, also motivating factors for me to do what I do now is my father. I was diagnosed with psoriasis as a child. 
By the time he was in his 30s, he had psoriatic arthritis. He's in his 70s now. And he's taken a conventional medicine approach all of these years. And, you know, of course, his health has continued to deteriorate. That's his path, you know, so I have to accept that as well. I'm, my mother has vitiligo and my brother has psoriasis. So I always, um, you know, there's a, a spot in my heart for people that are struggling with skin rashes, of course. Um, you know, and I really feel that nobody should have to struggle with these chronic complex health conditions and certainly not children who should be spending their first years enjoying and playing and not suffering with health problems like this. And, you know, when we have symptoms like skin rashes or food allergies and sensitivities or gut problems, these are really the body's cry for help that something's wrong. And, you know, we can figure out what that is and address it bring balance back to the body to help it heal. Yeah, you know, I, I love all these things that you've said, just the fact that food itself is not something that might cause something, it might be a trigger. But you know, let's not create more of an issue down the line when we start restricting a lot of these foods, right. Um, and that just kind of brings me back to why is this happening more and more in our children? Why are we seeing so much of this? So uh, there are multiple reasons, I should say, um, and you know what those reasons are. Do we really completely know? Um, there is research out there nowadays as to why allergic conditions like eczema, you know, like food allergies, environmental allergies are on the rise, and you know what we're looking at is the fact that the immune system is in constant communication with or microbiomes. And so this is where we can get into kind of the nitty gritty of um, what's happening. But so our immune system is connected to the bacteria, all the bugs that live within us, on us, et cetera. Um, and so I find that a primary root cause of what's happening with allergic conditions are gut microbiome imbalances. So what happens is in the gut, so this is our large intestine, so our colon, we have bacteria, viruses, fungi, um, all kinds of things that are supposed to be in there. And when levels are, and the balance of those and the diversity of those bugs um, is appropriate, if you will, then that confers health benefits to us as the host. When those bugs are out of balance, we can get all sorts of health problems. And of course, today we're talking about the skin rashes and the allergies and such. Um, so what happens is 80% of our immune system is actually located in our gut microbiome. And so that's a huge part of our immune system. So when we have imbalances there in the gut, that can send the immune system into complete disarray, and then we can wind up with allergic conditions. Um, and so when we're talking about those types of imbalances that can happen in the gut, so, you know, what we want to look at really are the makeup of the bugs that are supposed to be in there. Are levels of them too high? Are they too low? Either way, we can have some issues. Are there things in there we don't want to see at all, like pathogenic um, bacteria, viruses, or, you know, protozoa parasites? So, you know, all of these types of imbalances, oh, also problems with digestion and absorption, like do we have enough stomach acid? Do we have enough di digestive enzymes to take care of our food once it gets there? If we don't, 
then that food is kind of left in there. And, you know, those gut bugs can like feed off of it. And often that promotes the growth of things we don't want in there. So when we have these different types of imbalances in the gut, it causes inflammation in there. The gut lining is very thin. It's one cell layer thick. So when that inflammation occurs, that lining gets permeable. So this is where the term leaky gut comes from. So as the gut gets leaky, food particles uh, get out into the bloodstream and trigger the immune system and the immune system can start to react. In a lot of people that can result in rashes like eczema, food allergies, food sensitivities can develop. Um, sometimes people that have this happening have no gut symptoms whatsoever. The other thing that's happening, and so this is where it comes into play, right? Like where we eat something and then we have a reaction. And so we tend to blame food and start taking different foods out of the diet. Well, what we're missing is that leaky gut piece. And so as long as the gut is leaky, you're going to continue to have issues with different foods over time. So this is why for, you know, anybody that has been on an elimination diet and you might have found it's very common that you take, you know, some foods out of the diet, you have a relief of symptoms for a while and then the symptoms start again. And so you take more foods out of the diet thinking that's the issue. And so you end up in this vicious cycle of a diet that's getting smaller and smaller and symptoms that are getting worse um, because the gut is still leaky and now we're becoming nutrient deficient. And so the other thing that I really like to point out, um, it's not just food particles that are getting out of the gut into the bloodstream. It's also toxins from gut bugs. And these can also trigger immune responses resulting in the types of conditions that we're talking about. So when we eat in general, that creates the process of digestion, creates a die off of gut bugs. So we get those toxins. So when we're reacting after we eat, it might not even be the food that we're reacting to. It very well could be these toxins in the bloodstream. Um, yeah, so I'll stop there for a minute. But yeah, so, so this is where, you know, we get that connection between what's happening externally on the skin and then, you know, or with food allergies and what's happening in the gut. Yeah, and so how can parents really start to understand this whole this whole connection of what's happening, you know, in the gut and, and underneath inside the body, which is showing up as maybe eczema or psoriasis, how can they start? Where should they start? Uh, what I look at in my practice primarily, I mean, you know, of course there are other contributing factors. Like it is important to identify potentially triggering things like, you know, certain foods that might be triggering, you know, what are they? Because the types of foods that somebody might be reacting to give us clues as to what's happening inside. Um, you know, also environmental triggers uh, can play a role. Stress can play a role. So of course we want to address those lifestyle factors, but in terms of looking at the root cause of the problem, um, my go-to is a comprehensive digestive stool test. I like GI map. There are lots of different ones out there that just happens to be my go-to. Um, I know there are ways to get it around the world. So, you know, if anybody's interested, we always ask, we can help you find that. Um, so the comprehensive digestive stool test takes a look at those different types of imbalances that I mentioned, like the good stuff, you know, what are the levels too high, too low? Are there things in there we don't want in there at all? What does digestion look like? Is there inflammation in the gut? Um, there are markers for leaky gut, so we can actually check to see if the gut is leaky as well. 
Um, we can also see if somebody's immune function is, how somebody's immune function is behaving or responding. Is it too high? Is it too low? You know, if it's high, that to me means that something is triggering it. So, you know, maybe there are some allergies that need to be identified or some sensitivities, um, you know, that, and in terms of, you know, taking foods out of the diet, again, I am not a fan of that. However, this is kind of the exception here. If there are foods that you can absolutely identify as triggering to symptoms, then I do think it can be helpful to take them out of the diet temporarily while we were looking at what's happening in the gut to resolve those imbalances, just in terms of it, because it's not a root cause fix, you know, the diet, but it can help with symptoms to keep, you know, the baby child more comfortable while we're addressing the root cause of the problem. Um, but so, so immune function, you know, if it's too low, that shows that the immune system is depressed and not functioning as well as it should be. Um, and, um, you know, th there are interventions that we can, we can take to address all of these different types of findings. But so absolutely a comprehensive digestive stool test is the way to go to figure out what's happening in there. And we and what age groups can actually start to get those tests done? Any age can get these tests done. Um, and this is interesting. So the gut microbiome is not mature until about two to three years of age. So what we're looking for in little ones that are less than two years of age is a bit different. So when the test results come out, you know, their reference ranges and such, those are based on a mature microbiome, you know, more of an adult population. But so what we want to look for in kids or what I look for, at least in these tests, because we don't have like, you know, hard firm data on what things are supposed to look like in there. But so what I'm looking for really are things that aren't supposed to be there in, at all. Like I don't really want to see higher levels or H. pylori really present at all. I don't want to see parasites in there. I don't want to see pathogenic bugs in there. So when I'm working with kids that are less than two years old, I'm, I'm, I'm looking for those outlier type um, imbalances a bit more so than I am the balance of the normal flora. Um, the normal flora, like some research I've seen, says that it is uh, there's a higher relative abundance in kids. Um, but then I've heard from you know other practitioners that you know certain gut bugs don't grow at that stage of development. So so that's why you know you kind of have to make sure that you work with a trained professional, especially if your kid is really young, somebody that has experience interpreting these results for little ones. And again, you know not just looking at the stool test results, but looking at all of the other aspects that might be contributing to what's happening with baby. Yeah, it really is a growing field um, of microbiome, especially in small children. Uh, you know, we, we hear a lot of uh, new information that's constantly coming out. So the recommendations tend to vary as time goes by. But how do a lot of these pathogens make their way um, into children's gut? So, you know, small children, like, like you're saying, a few weeks old to a few months old, like how do these things like H. pylori, how do they even make it into their gut? That's the million dollar question, right? So when we are born and when we you know, go through the vaginal tract during birth, that inoculates us with our flora, our gut flora. Um, so some of it is dependent on what's happening with mom. So there are absolutely connections between mom and baby. 
Um, you know, C-sections can be unavoidable. So it, it's, it is what it is, you know, and I always like to point out too, I have seen, and I have clients, you know, little ones that have been, you know, born C-section, formula fed because mom couldn't breastfeed, exposed to antibiotics, like everything, you know, all the strikes, if you will, against them. Yeah. And sure, they have skin rashes and allergies, but there are so many kids born that way that don't have any problems at all. I also have plenty of clients that have been born vaginally, breastfed forever, never exposed to an antibiotic, like everything's been done perfect, right? And they have issues too. So some of it, like in terms of H. pylori, that's a good one to bring up because some bugs, like we share our microbiomes with people that we're in close contact with. And so certainly among families, you know, H. pylori is very easily transmittable between family members. Um, so our uh, candida is another one. So fungal yeast things easily transmitted. And then I tend to see, you know, in the families, like baby's immune function just in general, isn't as strong as maybe mom or dad. So this is why you can have people, you know, in the same household where, you know, maybe baby is experiencing these allergic type conditions, but nobody else in the family is. Um, because I get asked the question a lot, like if, you know, oh, we see H. pylori on, you know, baby stool tests, does that mean we all need to do something about it? And, you know, my response is like, well, are you having any symptoms or health problems? No. Okay. Then I really wouldn't worry about it so much at this stage. Um, H. pylori, for example, it's a normal inhabitant in there. We all have it anyway. Uh, but if it overgrows, it can become problematic. So again, everybody is different. And so that's it's something that's very important to remember. Yeah, it, that's, that's a great point. Just having that balance, right? It, it, that's really what we're looking for when you're talking about these stool tests and working with someone who really knows and understands how to interpret these tests is being able to see whether they're in the right balance that they need to be in rather than you know, having having imbalances. And that's really what we're looking for. Um, a lot of parents, you know, they you talk to them, and their kids have eczema, or they have psoriasis in the family. And they're like, Oh, this is genetic, like my kid got it from the dad, or my kid got it from the grandma or something like that. What? How does that work? So we all have wonky genes. And yes, there's a genetic predisposition to allergic conditions. But it takes something to turn on the gene and then something to kind of perpetually trigger it to make that problem present. Mm -hmm. So, you know, typically when we're talking about, because we can't change our genes, but we can look for those triggering items and get them out of the way and resolve underlying imbalances like addressing what's happening in the gut. So I don't, buy into the idea that, oh, it's genetic. This is something that we have to live with. No. I mean, again, like we all have wonky genes. It's just, they get turned on or not, you know? And, and, and um, there's the whole field of nutrigenomics, right? Where we study the impact of nutrition and nutrients. Because again, our bodies run off of nutrients from foods we eat. They're fuel for our engine. And so those nutrients can impact the expression of our genes. So by, you know, again, figuring out what's happening with someone, identifying those root cause imbalances, making sure somebody's getting well nourished, there's so much that we can do to help people feel better when they are having these, you know, allergic type conditions, skin conditions, 
even if mom and dad or grandma and grandpa have them too, there's still a lot that we can do to help solve the problem. Yeah. And that kind of brings me back to something we were talking about of, you know, just very, very young babies having to struggle with eczema. Um, And so what would you recommend to moms who are either breastfeeding or moms that are formula feeding or complementary feeding? How can they help their children with, um, with eczema or whatever that they're going through? So one of the first points I want to make is that the newer research, there have been some guidelines that have come out. You know, we've been told for years now that um, not introducing allergenic foods to baby, you know, early on is the way to go. Mom needs to be on an elimination diet, take all these foods out of the diet. Well, allergic conditions have been on the rise, right? So part of the research is recognizing that these types of recommendations have actually contributed to the problem. Um, So, you know, number one, I would say, you know, again, at any age, we can get this comprehensive digestive stool test done. Um, Aside from that, and it's actually counterintuitive to what we're led to believe, but mom, you know, elimination diets are not recommended. And there's a difference. We should talk about this too. The difference between, you know, allergies and sensitivities and intolerances for foods, because we use these terms interchangeably and they're really different. So when we're talking about allergy, that's an IgE immune response. So that is something that, you know, can go into anaphylaxis at some point. So like IgE reactions can become life-threatening. Um, IgG is a food sensitivity that's leaky gut, that's, you know, gut imbalances. So are food allergies. But, you know, once we get to that point where it's that IgE, we do have to be more careful with that. Food intolerances are something like lactose intolerance where the body doesn't make enough or have a specific enzyme to break down, you know, whatever that food is. But so when we're talking about the, I, so back to the IgE and the IgGs, cause we'll focus on those. Um, the IgGs, the food sensitivities fix the gut, you know, most people, these are delayed reactions and, you know, they can be delayed up to 48 to 72 hours. So this is one of the reasons why I'm very adamant. If you can't pinpoint a specific food that's causing the problem, don't take it out of the diet. Um, IgE reactions are more immediate. So those tend to happen within like 15 minutes, maybe an hour tops. So if somebody's reacting to those types of foods, then I think that's more of a caution, um, you know, if that reaction is happening more quickly. So those things can be, you know, taken out of the diet and monitored. So mom that's breastfeeding. So going back to that. So mom that's breastfeeding, if you're breastfeeding and let's say you ate peanuts and breastfed your baby and within 15 minutes, baby is flaring or having a reaction, that could very likely be a peanut allergy. So that's something that you want to check out. So, you know, I would say um, in terms of uh, breastfeeding as well, um, to keep the diet as varied as possible. So, you know, if you're not noticing these reactions, um, if they're not happening within like 15 minutes of feeding or so, then I would say keep going with it. The newer guidelines that have come out have shown that introducing these foods to baby, you know, number one through breast milk. And then as soon as they can start eating solids, like around six months of age, we want to get these foods in. 
Um, there are some great guidelines, and maybe we can post a link to this for people um, later in the show notes, uh, of how to introduce these allergenic foods to baby. And some of the most important things to think about too, when it comes to diet and preventing these allergic conditions is that gut microbiome diversity. So we want to have a diverse range of bugs in there that confers health benefits. So we get a diverse gut microbiome by having a diverse diet. So rather than restricting, we need to relax the diet and include as many foods as possible. Um, that was a long way to answer your question about breastfeeding. Did That's I get there? <laughs> great. And I think it, it kind of highlights another, another important um, thing to consider is the importance of giving moms while they're pregnant, a really good um, probiotic supplement, for example, just so that we can increase that, that variety that that's in her gut, right? Because like you said earlier, mom's gut makes such a big, it plays such an intrinsic role to the microbiome of the baby. And so what, what we're seeing is a lot of moms have have issues or their gut doesn't have as diverse a microbiome as we would like. And so that's being transferred onto the baby. And so it, it, I'm glad that you brought that up that, you know, if we can get them supplemented earlier, whether it's through food or supplementation, again, it, it's so important. It, it really is. And, you know, I find that so many of the parents that I work with for the little ones, like once you start digging deeper about the family history, you find out that mom has had her own rashes, allergies, gut problems, um, you know, has been on a health journey herself. So, you know, part of it is yes, moms, you need to take care of yourself as well. Um, you need to take care of yourself for you and for your baby. Uh, and probiotics are an important piece of the puzzle. They're not the whole puzzle. And I know that we get stuck on that too. People think, okay, I'm going to take a probiotic. It's going to solve the problem. It's, it's a lot more complex than that. There is research, but a probiotic is a good place to start. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of research out there that shows that supplementing mom um, during pregnancy and then um, after the baby is born, supplementing baby and mom continuing to take probiotics while nursing can actually help reduce the risk of the development of allergic conditions in baby. Yeah, um, you know, I'm glad that we brought that up because it's something that we need to drive home with, uh, with parents to kind of include that as part of their prenatal vitamins or just, you know, like you said, this is not the only thing that they need to consider, but if that's the, if that's the one takeaway they take from here, get start, start looking at things like that so they can, you know, start reducing the incidence of that happening in babies. Um, another thing that you spoke about was stress, right? So how can stress for some, a baby as young as a few weeks to a few months old, how does that get in, come into play? So chronic stress affects the body in different ways and stress can be physical. So like restricted diets, over-exercising, of course, not for baby, but like over-exercising injury, when we have gut problems, when we have rashes, when we have allergies, these are physical stresses on the body. Um, stress can also be chemical. So medications, um, a lot of little ones that end up with, or I find at least that end up with allergic conditions have had things like colic or reflux, you know, from the very beginning. So they have been on 
um, acid blocking medications, for example. So that's a chemical stress. Um, processed foods, other toxic exposures, environmental pollutants, these are all chemical stressors. And then emotional stress. So stress um, like financial stress, work stress. And of course, kids don't have stress like this, but they can feel your stress as parents. So stress management is really important for everyone in the family. And chronic stress wrecks the skin barrier and it changes the way the immune system works, which can lead to allergic responses. So those chemical reactions that happen in a stress response, you know, that fight or flight response, um, release certain chemical messengers that just increase immune system activity and really kind of like push things in a way that we don't want to long-term, which is why, you know, stress is supposed to go away, but in our world today, it does not. So we end up with these chemical reactions that are happening in the body that go on long-term and it just starts to drain the system essentially. Um, so, so yeah, and it can end up with a dysfunctional immune system and a broken skin barrier from stress. Yeah. And, and it, like you said, it can start off so early in life, right? That it just keeps, it's like a cycle that just keeps perpetuating itself, that it's hard even for babies to kind of shed that stress then. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Actually, yeah. Um, so another thing that, you know, parents and everyone just kind of tends to flock towards even practitioners. The first thing you see a rash, you see eczema, you see a diagnosis of psoriasis. And the first thing they do is they give you some atopic or steroidal creams to use, right? What is your take on that? So steroid creams can be problematic. I like to think of it. I have a client, if he's listening to this at some point, um, he will smile because I use this all the time. He, adult client that I work with that um, struggled with eczema and he had to use his steroid creams, you know, periodically. And he would say, it's like breaking the glass in case of an emergency. Like that's what they're there for. So they can be very helpful. Um, you know, your little one does not have to be uncomfortable. I know a lot of parents are afraid to use steroid creams for good reason, because there are problems associated with them. Um, used very sporadically, short term, they can be amazing, you know, an amazing intervention to help somebody com be comfortable while addressing the root cause of the problem. Um, but long term use of steroid medications, these topical creams, and it doesn't even have to be that long, like everybody is different. But when we use these, we can develop topical steroid addiction or red skin syndrome, um, topical steroid withdrawal, different names for, for it, but the skin can literally become addicted to the steroid creams. And so when you're not using them, they, they start to become ineffective and then they can start to, you know, burn and make things worse. And then when you stop using them, the skin can flare. And this is often mistaken for a worsening of eczema when in fact, it's really symptoms from like topical steroid withdrawal. Um, so not only can the skin become addicted to steroid creams, but they're also endocrine disruptors. So they can cause hormone imbalances, including with our adrenals, which are our stress, our stress um, uh, hormones come from our adrenals. And this can be even worse in children because their symptoms are still developing. Uh, a lot of people will try to dilute a topical steroid. Um, you know, this can actually lead to overuse and increase the risk. 
But again, you know, it's one of those things like they're there for a reason. If you need them, use them, but we just don't want to rely on them long-term because they're not going to resolve the root cause of the problem. Yeah. And so a lot of people like to use, you know, alternatives to steroid creams. So they try to go for like more natural creams or, um, you know, things like that. And so how does that work for them? You know, it's, we see that a lot happening uh, where people try to find alternative solutions to steroid creams. How does that work? So in terms of alternatives, I do have a list like of, you know, some of my favorite topicals. Topicals are challenging because, you know, we want to support the skin barrier and do things to help maintain that. And let's talk, we'll talk about that because I think that's important, the skin microbiome. Um, you know, but, but in terms of what, you know, works for symptoms, everybody is so different. Uh, I always recommend keeping the skin as hydrated as possible. There are so many different products out there for this. My favorites and my go-tos are single ingredient plant oils. I go between four different ones. Um, they're omega-6 fatty acid oils. The omega-6 structure is important because that's really actually hydrating for the skin. Just the structure of the fatty acid can like soak into the skin very well. Um, Yehoba oil is my current favorite. I'm using that one right now. Um, but also sunflower seed oil, rose hip oil, and hemp seed oil. Um, so those are my favorite oils for moisture. Shea butter is fantastic unless somebody has a nut allergy. If there's an IgE nut allergy, shea's a nut, that can be problematic. Um, uh, emu oil is moisturizing. That is really nice. It's thicker than those other oils I mentioned. So that can be more moisturizing. Something else that is sort of controversial, if you will, is the uh, coconut oil. <laughs> so many people use coconut oil topically. It's in a ton of products, you know, made for topical use. The problem with coconut oil is that it's super antimicrobial. And so, which can be good, but it can also be bad. So this is what gets to our, our skin barrier. So we have microbiome on our skin. So lots of different bacteria and bugs that live on our skin. We need them there. They actually protect our skin barrier, keep it strong so that we don't end up with, you know, rashes like eczema. Um, and so coconut oil, because it's so antimicrobial can actually disrupt that skin microbiome and, you know, lead to a dysfunctional skin barrier, which rashes and, and such follow. Um, that said, a lot of people with eczema tend to have higher colonization of staph bacteria on the skin, which contributes to the problem. So in those people, so like if you're someone that has found that coconut oil made things better, that I tend to lean towards, okay, that person probably has higher colonization of staph or even something fungal on the skin, um, which is why that can be helpful. But in a general sense, I would say avoid coconut oil topically. Um, there are also probiotics that we can use for the skin. There are uh, products like Mother Dirt is one of them. I don't know if uh, people have heard of that company, but they have a lot of different products that are probiotics for the skin. You can also use something like a spore-based probiotic, which is actually my go-to for oral internal use for my clients. Um, you know, that's something that you can put a little bit of maybe the jojoba oil on the skin or the sunflower seed oil 
open a capsule of the probiotic, you know, sprinkle a little bit on and massage that in and leave it on. My go-to for that is Megasporebiotic. It's by Microbiome Labs. So that one has been helpful for a number of my clients uh, topically as well. So, you know, while these are all different, you know, more natural types of interventions compared to steroid creams, they are not going to cause something like steroid, you know, topical steroid withdrawal over time. Um, yeah, so, so, so there are things that we can do to help protect that skin barrier and help somebody get some relief. Yeah, and it's kind of it ties into what you were talking about. We don't want our kids to be um, you know, just not feeling well. And a lot of parents say, Oh, you know, the moment night falls, and they're about to go to sleep, that's when the itching starts. And that's when they can't sleep all night long. And it kind of feeds that cycle of stress. You know, these are some great alternatives to kind of hydrate their skin right before going to sleep so that you can kind of reduce that itchiness and that irritability of the skin. Um, those seem like, you know, such great alternatives to consider and to put in like a daily practice. But one of the things that I, I hear a lot from parents is, you know, how long will this rash or this eczema take to go away? Especially because it's something that, you know, for people that it's in very obvious places like the face or the arms, they don't want to have it all the time. You know, it's, it's weird to have it around even for your baby. And so they want to have quick solutions. Mm -hmm. What do you say to that? Yeah, so, you know, skin rashes can take time to resolve when we're, when we're working through health issues from a functional perspective. So identifying those root cause imbalances to address them, bring that balance back to the body so it can heal. So the body was built to heal itself. You just have to like give it the resources to do that and get things out of the way that are preventing it from doing that. Um, and so in terms of how long it takes, I find that and everybody is so different. On average, I would say six months is what to expect. I have an, a number of clients, it takes longer. I've had a number of clients where it's happened sooner. Um, what I tend to see is that when we're addressing things from this root cause perspective is that the rashes, for example, will get, um, like flares will happen less often uh, so that, you know, they become fewer and farther between when they do happen, they're not as severe, they don't last as long. And so they kind of like peter themselves out over time. It's not that, you know, you get on a protocol to address, you know, findings um, and imbalances, and then, you know, boom, you feel better. It, it's, it's a process. It's definitely a process. And that process, um, can be a little more tricky in little ones because you know we have to be more careful like not we can't do the same thing we do for adults for children and so children are very very different from adults and so i i do recommend to people don't try this is not a diy situation <laughs> work with a practitioner that can you know help you and guide you through the process I um, have a client, um, a very, a wonderful mom of a little one who has been doing a lot of research and implementing a lot of things on her own, which can actually, and, and you know, have started to make the problem worse because she's not working with a practitioner. She's doing her own research and 
She's, you know, giving her little one things that aren't necessarily appropriate for him. So, so this is something we absolutely do not want to do because not only are we not solving the problem that we're trying to solve, but we're creating additional problems as well. Um, so yeah, so I, I would just say in a general sense, everybody is different, you know, in terms of expectations, average is six months, give or take. Yeah. Yeah. And I think what's, what's also key is consistency, right? Since these things, they take so much longer, um, people tend to kind of pitter patter out of, out of their treatment plan, right? It's just, it's hard to stay on course, but it's something that if you stay consistent, you'll see results. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I find that because it's not about perfection. And of course, you know, if we're talking about trying to get a one-year-old or, you know, somebody under the age of, I don't know, five or even an, adults can be challenging too, let's be honest. But, you know, to try to stick to a protocol and, you know, take this supplement every single day and do this, that, and the other, very, very, very challenging. We only have so much control over that. So I find that as long as we are persistent, consistent, get, you know, most of the interventions done, practiced on a daily basis, most of the time people get results. So yeah. it's not about perfection. Yeah. Yeah. For anyone that's listening in um, and, you know, they want to know what they can do to have and maintain good skin health for their children or even for themselves, where should they look? What should they start off with? So I think that the most important places to start really are the three foundational aspects that I look at in my practice. And, you know, number one, we really need to make sure that our bodies have the fuel they need to do everything that they're supposed to do, including building and repairing healthy skin. And, you know, healthy skin requires a lot of different nutrients that come from the foods we eat. So we need to eat rather than be on these restrictive elimination diets. Um, and again, like I have seen skin conditions get worse, the more restrictive the diet becomes, which is also more problematic in children because they're growing and developing. So we need to make sure that the foods are getting in. And if they are getting in and, you know, there are problems, it's like, okay, well, are we able to use the nutrients that we're getting in? Which means we've got to take a look at the gut. So, you know, if we're not digesting and absorbing appropriately, we're not going to get those nutrients from the foods we eat. So when we have those imbalances in the gut that we talked about, that can happen. And again, that's also where 80% of the immune system is. So, you know, we need to make sure the right foods are getting in. We need to make sure that our bodies can process those foods appropriately. And then, you know, we also need to look at chronic stress. Um, you know, I do find that, that those three aspects are, are major triggers um, for what's happening with the immune system, therefore, for what's happening with the skin. And, you know, those are all things that people really anywhere can get started with. You know, make sure that the diet is made up of whole real foods. Um, if there are food sensitivities that, you know, you're aware of, or, you know, you can't tell what they are, I should say, because food sensitivities are really hard to identify, but if there are food sensitivities and food allergies already, check out what's happening in the gut microbiome and, you know, address any source of chronic stress. So parents, um, you know, it's stressful to see your little ones struggle, but remember that they can feel your stress. And so stress management, mindfulness, you know, including techniques with your child. There are things that you can do with babies as well to help, you know, stay calm and have, you know, sort of a peaceful environment 
I think all of those things are really important. I love that. You know, there's just so much for parents to learn from all of this. And I think you've done such a great job to kind of just put it out there. It's such a easy to learn and grasp and to implement. So I thank you for that. But before you, we go, I just wanted um, you to let our listeners know where can they get in touch with you? Sure. So um, my website, it's jenniferkarenbrand.com, spelled a little funny. So it's Jennifer, J-E-N-N-I-F-E-R. Karen is spelled C-A-R-Y-N. And then my last name, Brand, B-R-A-N-D. If you forget that and type in Karen regularly, it'll come up too. I took care of that. Um, but on Instagram is probably where I post most of my information, most updated on a regular basis. Um, my handle on there is Jennifer Karen Brand. So with the C-A-R-Y-N <laughs> Karen. Um, so that's there as well. And I also have the link through my bio on Instagram. All sorts of resources that can be really helpful. I know we talked about um, topicals for skin rash relief. So I have a whole list of those. Um, I have a, a guide to probiotics for skin rashes that you can find there. Also a general guide. I call it my guide to beat your little one's eczema. All different kinds of tips and tricks to help manage symptoms and such. And, you know, all while we're working on addressing the root cause of the problem. Yeah, um, I really do encourage everybody to go and have a look because your re resources are really, really helpful. And I'll, ma I'll make sure to put them in the show notes for everyone to access them um, easily. But thank you so much for coming. This has been amazing. And it's been very, very educational for everybody. So thank you so much for all your time. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. And I do hope this is helpful for everyone. Yes, for sure. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed our conversation today. Thank you for listening to this podcast and spending your precious time with us at Helping Children Thrive. If you find this podcast helpful, please share it with your family, friends, and others who may benefit. If you haven't already, hit subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. Please take a few moments to rate and review this podcast on the review section of Apple Podcasts. This will help other parents, caregivers, and professionals find the show more easily. Visit momenasaleemcoaching.com to post comments on today's show or ask any questions about upcoming episodes. And sign up to receive weekly updates. Helping Children Thrive is not a substitute for working with a qualified healthcare professional. The information shared here is not intended to diagnose and treat your child. Before implementing anything discussed here on the podcast, make sure to consult your healthcare practitioner. See you all next week.